Hello and what's up, political peeps? I am your host, R.F. Kapoor, and on this 45th episode of The Geopolitical, we will be talking about everything Statue of Liberty, from its origins to visiting in 2023. Before we begin talking about the significance of the Statue of Liberty, I would like to apologize for not posting an episode for the past month, but I promise I have some good stuff in store for you in the coming months. But let's get back to the episode. So, to talk about the significance of the statue, we have to think back to the end of the American Revolutionary War in September of 1783. The Statue of Liberty, or Liberty Enlightening the World, was a gift to the U.S. from France to commemorate a hundred years of friendship between the French and Americans, along with their joint victory against the British in the American Revolution. The statue was designed by two French sculptors, one of them being Frederick Auguste Bartholdi, who modeled it after his mother, and the and a Roman goddess of freedom. The other being Gustave Eiffel, who went on to build the Tower of Paris, or Eiffel Tower, many years later. Bartholdi began with the design in 1875 and created a four-foot-tall clay sculpture of the statue before building an eight-foot-tall plaster sculpture. Then he designed a 33-foot-tall plaster model, which refined many small details unlike the previous two rough draft models. Bartoli and his team began using a technique called repoussé to build the final version of the statue. The crew would put wooden planks on the, along the plaster model and create structures before the copper was hammered into these structures. At this point in the process, the copper sheets were scaled up since the plaster model was only about a quarter of the final height of the statue. This was the point where Gustave Eiffel came in and began designing a support structure to hold the pieces together. He came up with an idea similar to the metal beam support structure of the Eiffel Tower, which he would build later. Eiffel also designed a long iron spine, which acted as a support beam for the statue and allowed the statue to sway 12 centimeters in all directions to ensure that the statue would not buckle under wind or other conditions. The hope was to have the statue completed by 1876 to celebrate the 100-year anniversary of the signing of America's Declaration of Independence, but the statue ended up costing France way more than they expected. It was costed $250,000, which would be a whopping $5.5 million in today's economy. It took months to raise all the money through boxing matches, auctions, lotteries, and more. Because of this, by the time July of 1876 rolled around, all that was ready for and completed was the head, arm, and torch of the statue. The torch and arm were sent across the Atlantic Ocean to be displayed at a centennial exhibit that took place in New York and then Philadelphia, while the head was displayed at the Paris World Fair that same year. At this point, the U.S. still had not fulfilled its end of the bargain, which was to design and build the pedestal for the statue. Although New York City wanted to have the statue, the governor of New York announced that state money was not allowed to be used for the pedestal. Other states, such as Massachusetts and Pennsylvania, offered state money for the pedestal, along with the statue being placed in their state. Many people outside of New York refused to donate and contribute to the pedestal since They thought of it as a state thing, rather than a gift to the entire nation. Richard Morris Hunt began designing the pedestal with funds that came from the Franco-American Union, even though they were very limited, because not a lot of people were donating. The Franco-American Union was a French-run organization that raised money from both of the two countries. 
Hunt's design was an 89-foot-tall sculpture that rested on top of a star-shaped wall from Fort Wood, which was a military fort that protected the New York Harbor during the War of 1812. By 1884, when the statue was complete in France, the pedestal was only half-finished and funding from the Franco-American Union and other sources had run out. At this point, some people believed that the statue would never be finished, until some individuals like Joseph Pulitzer, who was the owner of a newspaper called The World, came into play. Pulitzer created something called Pulitzer's Prize, where he would put anyone's name in the newspaper if they donated any amount of money to the pedestal. In only a few months, Pulitzer raised over $100,000 and had 120,000 people donate in total. During the time when the Americans worked to find funding for the pedestal, the statue stood in Paris for about a year. The statue was then dismantled into 350 pieces, put in 214 crates, and shipped across the Atlantic on ocean on a boat called Isri. Once the statue arrived at Bedloe's Island on June 17th of 1885, the pedestal was complete in a matter of weeks. This 450,000 pound statue was fully reassembled on October 28th of 1886 when U.S. President Grover Cleveland, along with Bartholdi and many French officials, presented the statue to all of America, saying, We will not forget that liberty has here made her home, nor shall her chosen altar be neglected. This copper-colored statue, which was 305 feet tall from the base of the pedestal to the top of the torch, featured broken shackles and chains to represent the end of slavery. A tablet with July 4th, 1776 written in Roman numerals and a crown with 25 windows to view New York Harbor, as well as a torch, which was lit at the ceremony in October of 1886. This statue also represented freedom to the 12 million immigrants who passed through what was America's chief immigration station from 1892 to 1954, Ellis Island. Because of this, in 1903, a plaque with a poem by Emma Lazarus was placed on the statue. Emma Lazarus wrote this poem reading, Give me your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. In 1883, to help with fundraising for the statue. After that, in 1924, President Calvin Coolidge made the statue an official national monument before it went through a multi million dollar renovation many years later in 1984. After these improvements to the scaffolding of the statue, President Ronald Reagan reopened the statue to the public on July 4th of 1986. The name of the island that the statue stands on was changed from Bedloe's Island to Liberty Island before these repairs in 1956. After the terrorist attacks at the World Trade Center on September 11th of 2001, the statue was closed for safety until 2004 when the observation deck reopened. Because of these safety concerns, the Crown Observation Area was not able to open until July 4th of 2009. The torch has been off-limits to the public since the Black Tom explosions of 1916 when German spies exploded some train cars on the Jersey Shore, causing the torch to explode during World War I. The statue is no longer the tallest building in the world, or statue in the world, to be fair, 
as that rule has been passed to the Statue of Unity in India as of 2013. Today, the only way to get on Liberty Island is through the Statue City Cruises Ferry. You can access the ferry to the island from Liberty State Park in New Jersey or the Battery Park in New York City, New York. Ferries that leave New Jersey will stop at Ellis Island and then Liberty Island before coming back home to New Jersey. New York departing ferries will stop at Liberty Island, then Ellis Island, before returning to New York City. More information on visiting the Statue of Liberty is available on Statue City's Cruises website, which is available in the description below. The Geopolitical will be coming out with an episode on the origins and history in visiting Ellis Island sooner than later, so hold on if you're interested. Liberty Island is open with a museum, cafe, flagpole plaza, and an area where you can view the statue from the ground. The pedestal has seven levels open to the public. The levels start from 1P at the bottom all the way through 7P. At floor 3P, you can go outside, but the official observation deck is not until level 6P. You can access any floors 1P through 7P via the elevator or stairs. Level 7P is only open to people who have Crown Reserve tickets and want to go up to the Crown. The only way to the Crown is by using a special spiral-type staircase called the Double Helix Stairway, which has one way up and one way down. On this staircase, there are a handful of rest platforms where emergency elevators can be called, but these are not meant for general public use and can only handle three people at a time. The crown, which has 25 windows, allows a limited number of people at a time to look out into the astonishing views of New York Harbor. Behind the windows is a set of extremely powerful lights that are put on once the sun sets. Although the torch is off-limits to the general public, it is still accessible to maintenance workers. For this reason, somewhere along the double helix stairways, where the, arm and the st where the arm of the statue begins, there is a gate which leads to a very steep and very long ladder that maintenance workers have to climb until they get to the end of the arm, where they have to climb another ladder before stepping out onto the torch platform. And yeah, that's the Statue of Liberty for you. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of The Geopolitical. I'm going to go ahead and apologize again for not posting for the past month, but hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode enough to come back again, even after a whole month. I promise that episodes will be coming more frequently, and I promise a lot of great and amazing content will be coming out soon. But until next time, thank you so much for watching and listening. Peace out, political peeps.